Uh, As we remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask this morning that you would open your word to us, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we might learn from your life-giving word, that we might be fed by it, and that you would use it so that we might see Jesus more clearly this day and all our days. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Over the past few weeks, as we've walked through the first seven chapters of Mark's gospel, we have seen how Mark reveals Jesus in his divine identity and power. As Jesus has healed and cleansed the unclean, taught with divine authority, and provided through divine power, the question that has been ringing throughout is, who is this man? The disciples themselves asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this Jesus? If you were to sit and read all of Mark's gospel in one sitting, you would come to chapter 8, and it feels as though this, this question is coming to a head, like we are finally going to get a clear answer, and sure enough, we do. Interestingly... It's not from a question that the disciples ask. Rather, Jesus turns it around on them in a series of questions that culminates in the question of questions. Who do you say that I am? It is the question on which the fate of all things hangs. That's not an overstatement. Friends, I'm not trying to build the drama here. There is no need for me to do that. It is a simple fact. Either Jesus is who Mark has presented him to be through the first seven and a half chapters, that being the the divine and unique Son of God come to bring the kingdom of God by defeating sin and evil and death, or he's something else. And if something else than ultimately of minor importance. Who do you say that I am? It is the most important question in the world. That being the case, we need to spend some time looking at this question. And what hinders us from answering in the clear, simple, and yet profoundly faithful way that Peter did, you are the Christ. So let's start by looking at this question in Peter's simple confession. What does the question itself reveal to us? Well, it, it's rather obvious at first, but it's about Jesus, isn't it? Seems to be a simple conclusion, but it's good to start with, with simple. The question itself is about Jesus. This is not What will be asked later? What must I do to inherit the kingdom? Or how must I live to ensure I will be saved? Now, make no mistake. The grace of Jesus Christ makes demands upon us. We cannot simply confess that Jesus is the Christ and not have it change us. Those demands, the the effect of grace, we could say, upon our living, is what we'll discuss next week. This week, though, We must focus and see that the question 
itself is centered on Jesus. Who do you say that I am? It's important to note because it tends to be the opposite of what we want to ask. We like to ask, who am I? Who do I say that that I am? The current cultural obsession with identity is based on that question, but Jesus turns it around. He shifts the focus away from us and towards him. Why? Well, because if he is the Christ, as Peter confesses and Jesus receives, then that is what is of ultimate importance. It's not that questions of identity don't matter, but rather if we are unable to identify who Jesus is, then how we identify ourselves is going to be of little consequence in the long term. The nature of the question is meant to point our eyes to Jesus, to help us consider to him, to think about what it means that he is the Christ. After all, what is the Christ? He's the anointed one of God, the divine rescuer sent by God to bring a wayward people back to relationship with the Father. If that is who Jesus is, then it becomes crucial that we are able to identify him as such. Can we do that today? When we look to Jesus, what do we see? Who is it that we see? If we do not see him as the Christ, then we do not see him as he reveals himself. And that is actually the point of what comes before this great question and Peter's confession. It's the truth that we people do not see rightly. We are blind to who Jesus is in our need for him. So often I have had dear, faithful believers come to me and ask, why don't others know Jesus? Why can't they accept that he is the Christ? It's because we are blind. We have a very unique healing account in our passage today. And in this account, Jesus asks the question, do you see anything? That's unusual for him. Typically in a a healing narrative, Jesus simply heals the person. Here there are two attempts with this question sandwiched between them. Has the power of Jesus somehow failed here? What's happening? Well, there is a reason why this healing account is placed alongside Peter's confession, because it is the perfect description of our spiritual state. Just before the healing, working our way backwards through the text today. At the beginning of the text, we have Jesus warning the disciples to watch out. Watch out for the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And the disciples, being the disciples, think he is literally talking about bread. Because they have only one loaf. Because someone forgot to bring the rest. And Jesus looks at them and he's, he's like, are you guys serious? Do you guys really think I'm concerned about bread? I just fed 5,000 people from basically nothing, and if you missed it the first time, guess what? 
I just served another 400 or 4,000. Don't you get it yet? And Jesus rather pointedly asks, Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And at this point in time, the disciples would have to answer no. They do not hear Jesus rightly. They do not see Jesus rightly. They need to be healed. And they need healing in part because they focus on the wrong things. The disciples are concerned about their stomachs, not their souls. They're concerned with their earthly perceived need, not the underlying need of their souls. The miracles, the feedings, all of it was to show who Jesus is, and yet they focus on what the miracle gives them. It's a what-can-you-do-for-me approach. I've got Jesus in my, my life toolbox over here, so that if I ever get myself in a jam, then I can, I can bring him out and he can fix it for me. I'll get him to bail me out when I can't help myself anymore. Right? It's who do I say that I am living? Fixing our eyes and hearts inward rather than upward. And we will remain in that state. We will remain blind unless Jesus heals our spiritual blindness. And by his grace, as we talked about last week and we will continue to talk about, he freely offers it to us. Why, though? Why does this healing take two attempts? If I'm right that this healing is meant to be a physical representation of the state of our, our faith or lack thereof, why doesn't Jesus just heal him and be done with it? Well, it teaches us something about the way that Jesus opens our eyes. He doesn't overwhelm us, but rather opens our eyes to see him over time. He is a, a gentle and compassionate Lord, and so he reveals himself bit by bit. Think about it for a second. Could you imagine if Jesus showed you all of your sin all at once? Like he sat you down with a list of every sin you had committed and pointed his finger and said, you did all of this. That would be crushing, wouldn't it? That would be so overwhelming, we wouldn't want anything to do with him. We'd go running for the hills, never to return again. That's not what Jesus does. He's gracious and compassionate and patient with us. He heals our blindness over time. We even see it how this portion of Mark's gospel flows together. Right? Last week was about what? The abundant, freely given, freely offered grace of Jesus Christ. This week, about how his grace opens our eyes to confess his name, and then next week is all about the way that that is meant to influence and impact our living, step by step by step. And all the while, he is there with us, keeping us close to him, knowing that things will look a little fuzzy to us at first, but that in his grace, he will open our eyes over time to who he is and the grace he offers. This sort of step-by-step -step approach should actually be an encouragement to us. To those of us who know that 
Maybe our spiritual sight needs a little fine-tuning, a little more clarity. And for those of us who long to see our friends and family members finally have their eyes opened at all, keep praying for them. Keep praying for that, that clarity. Keep praying for those that don't know Jesus. I can't stand up here and promise that it'll end how we all want it to. I'm pretty certain that that's well above my pay grade, but what I do know is that we can continue to pray. And we can do so in faith and sure hope that Jesus, over time, opens our eyes to him. That just because someone is in a state of spiritual blindness now doesn't mean that they will remain there. So there's an encouragement here for us. Keep praying. Stay close to Jesus. There's also a challenge here for us. seems to be the way it works with Jesus, you know? You're with him, and there's a lot of encouragement. There's challenge, too. By the way, it's because he loves us. What's the challenge here? Well, for those of us who, like his disciples, are in proximity to Jesus with pretty consistent frequency, we need to ask ourselves, do we have eyes to see? Do we see anything? Do we see Jesus for who he is? The disciples have been walking with Jesus for pretty much his entire ministry, and yet they are blind men. They need their eyes open. Do we, who spend time around Jesus, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Or are we just playing church? Just filling time on a Sunday morning. Truth is, too often we only see in part. We're like the blind man after healing one, waiting on healing two. Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they responded, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets they are seeing in part. To say that Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets is to acknowledge that there's something different about this guy, maybe even something of the, of the divine. God's got his hand on him. I mean, after all, at this point, John the Baptist is dead. So are all the prophets. Elijah's been taken up into heaven. So if Jesus is one of them, there's something different going on here. And identifying Jesus as one of them is saying that he is clearly important. He is unlike other men, but it still misses the mark. It sees in part. It's still limiting who Jesus is. It limits his uniqueness because he's being misidentified as one of these great men of the past. It is seeing in part. Let me give you a contemporary example. How many times have I heard, well, Jesus didn't say that he's the unique son of God. What he was actually saying was that we're all sons and daughters of God. Well, no, Jesus is the unique son of God. And John's gospel tells us that if we receive him, he gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God. Or how about, well, Jesus wasn't God. He was a, he was a good moral teacher and, a, and an influential religious leader. Well, yeah, Jesus was those things. He is a religious leader. He is a moral teacher, but that's not all he is because a religious leader and a moral teacher can't save us and Jesus saves us. 
He's the unique, perfect, sinless Son of God. Not including all the portions of Jesus is to limit him. And in limiting him, we're going to elevate our preferred version of Jesus and make that the lens through which we see him, and usually the only lens. And so it limits him. It's what all seeing in part does. And so we need to be honest with ourselves. Where are my blind spots? Where do I see in part? How about our church? What's our blind spots as a church? And how are those influencing our ministry, either that we do or don't do? Do we come to receive the gospel, but then we're unwilling to extend it to others in word and deed? Are we willing to welcome the outsider like Jesus did? Yay! But only if they know how to behave in church first. Better know when to stand or sit. We need to pray, Lord, open my eyes to who you are. Continue to slowly but surely reveal my deeper sin, my deeper need, and your deeper grace and love. Help me, Lord, to hear again the question, who do you say that I am? And to confess with sureness and plainness that you are the Christ. If we're going to identify our blind spots, we're going to get serious about that question. We need to be mindful about what causes them or where they come from. As we said, Jesus began our passage today with a warning. Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What he's referring to here is hypocritical and false teaching. Although claiming to know God, the Pharisees were leading the people away from him. They were feeding, feeding them leaven that blinded them to who God is. And in taking in this false teaching, it works as leaven does, right? It grows and it grows and it grows until we are so filled with bad teaching that we are completely blind to who Jesus is and our need for him. Now, the temptation is to say, well, the bad teaching comes from outside the church. It's what all those people out there are teaching. They're the problem. There's some truth to that. I recently heard of a CNN reporter who pronounced for the world to hear, being the clear authority on who Jesus is, that not even Jesus was perfect. That's not biblical. That's not Orthodox Christianity. But here's the thing. As much as we'd like it to be, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The Pharisees weren't the outsiders. They were the ultimate insiders. They were proclaiming false teaching from inside the religious community. In our time, then, we could say that the problem is not what's on social media or HBO. It's what's being proclaimed from our pulpits. And from our small group studies. It's how the music we sing shapes us into a partial and at times even false view of Jesus. 
It's how the so-called preaching in many churches leads to a skewed presentation of the gospel. In fact, it's no gospel at all because the preacher doesn't want to talk at all about Jesus. This is the good Bishop Ryle said. The assaults of persecution from without have never done half so much harm to the church as the rise of false doctrines within. The sword of the foe has never done such damage to the cause of truth as the tongue and the pen. We as the church, we often, and I'm speaking with a a capital C here, we often lament the state of the church in our time, declines in attendance, declines in general belief, and we attribute those faults to society. But the reality is that declining attendance was the natural outcome of an already present decline in faith because of an already present decline in a robust gospel witness. The church herself lost faith in Jesus, and so society naturally followed suit. And so the takeaway here is that our blind spots to the gospel are far more likely to develop from having an underdeveloped gospel preached and taught in our churches. And so our response is not to say outside world bad, or even other churches who don't do it like we do bad. Rather, it is to slow down and to look at ourselves. To look at our leadership and what's being taught. Is it in line at all with the gospel? Or have we watered things down in the name of being appealing or in the name of growing attendance or frankly because the person who's speaking at the front doesn't believe a word of it? The truth is we can't answer the question that Jesus asks rightly unless we are feeding on the leaven that he provides. Unless we are submitting our faith, our beliefs, to the revealed truth of his word. Unless we are feeding upon the faith once and for all time given to the saints, we will never see Jesus clearly. And so our response will always be in line with the partial responses of the people. And so we need to ask, what is it that we are teaching the world about Jesus? What am I teaching from this pulpit? Are we feeding upon the leaven of the Pharisees? Are we living with an understanding of the world that is shaped more by cultural influences or Facebook memes than the gospel itself? It's a question that sits on me all the time. We will not answer it by looking outside these walls, but by asking ourselves, who do we say that Jesus is? And is my answer to that biblical? As the rector of the church, I need to be willing to ask those questions, and I need to be willing to confess when I fall short in the call of proclaiming the gospel in its beautiful fullness. It starts with me, but it is not limited to me. It is something for each and every one of us to consider and pray about. Jesus did not ask a general question in the end. He asked a very specific one. 
We need to submit as, as believers. If we are believers in Jesus, we need to submit what we believe about Jesus to how Jesus presents himself in the scriptures. And that means taking the time to search the scriptures, not just taking the preacher's word for it because he's up there and we're all down here. But prayerfully reading the life-giving word of God so that we might see Jesus clearly and have our blind spots filled with his glorious light. And when our view of the world and if Jesus conflicts with who he reveals himself to be, then we must be willing to acknowledge our blind spots and ask for his grace to heal them. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that together? To help one another search the scriptures? To help one another see with clear eyes and answer with simple boldness, Jesus, you are the Christ. People of St. Aidan's, who do you say that Jesus is? If we are to be the church that we claim we want to be, if we are to praise and proclaim Jesus Christ, then we must be able to confess that he is the Christ. And what him being the Christ means must be shaped by how he has revealed himself. And as I said, each one of us needs to engage with that. Jesus starts by asking, who do people, who do they say that I am? But then he asks, who do you say that I am? That's not a question I can answer for you. By God's grace and mercy, all I can do is faithfully present the gospel. I can't receive it for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? When you look to him, who do you see? It is the question of all questions. And it is the one we must wrestle with. And in the end, joyfully and faithfully proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God who redeems us from all our sin. Next week, we'll talk about what all this means for how we live. We'll talk about avoiding cheap grace. And honestly engaging with what grace demands. But friends, none of that will matter at all if we are unable to confess Jesus as Christ. Not generally, but personally. People of St. Aidan's, who do you say that he is? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus that by his grace our eyes are opened. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to open them, that you would draw us deeper and deeper in faith, that you would open the eyes of the blind. If any of us gathered here, either online or, or in person, if we are blind to the truth of Jesus, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see him and to profess him, to confess his name? Confess that Jesus is Lord. And each day, Lord, would you show us more and more what that means and help us to live in such a way that is reflective of his grace and his love for us. And it is in Jesus' glorious name that we pray. Amen.